This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis. This is episode 56. And this week, uh, it's a theme that we're taking, but it's very much related to a story that is uh, out there in the news at the moment. So we're looking at the issue of tainted donations. So this is the idea that some donations and some money uh, carries with it um, sort of negative connotations or is somehow tainted by the, the way in which it's made or sort of associations that it has. And this is a very long-standing question for philanthropy. Um, we People who've listened to the podcast uh, for a long time may even feel a slight sense of deja vu because we have actually covered the question of whether you can do good with bad money briefly in a, in a segment quite a long time ago. Um, but uh, hopefully you'll forgive me here for kind of coming back to the issue and looking at it in a bit more depth and sort of bringing potentially um, some, some some new ideas uh, to bear on it and relating it to um, some some newer versions of the same problem that, are, that have arisen recently. Um, so I was actually thinking of doing this episode earlier this year when the um, controversy over the donations of the Sackler family uh, came to the forefront in the news um, but didn't get round to it. Um, but then uh, very shortly afterwards, the, the issue has sort of blown up once again in the form of the news that's been coming out over the last week or so about the donations of the um, recently deceased and disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein um, to uh, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Media Lab. Um, and I, I'm not going to go into the details of that story here, which um, is very complicated, but um, in particular, a recent article um, in The New Yorker by Ronan Farrow, the investigative reporter, sort of outlines or lays out in, in quite a lot of detail um, the fact that um, Epstein continued to have a relationship with MIT Media Lab where he was giving donations to them, um, but they did this in sort of knowledge of his conviction on uh, charges of uh, sexual offences, um, but they, they kept his name off their list of donors and did it all anonymously. Um, and, you know, it's proven to be a hugely problematic story. I think initially there was some pushback from MIT Media Lab and the people in charge saying that, you know, um, actually they were being quite robust in defending having taken the money, but then subsequently it's become um, very apparent that actually they sort of had more awareness of uh, the issues surrounding Epstein, yet they continued to, to take donations from him and perhaps um, it suggested even use him uh, as a go-between to solicit donations from other wealthy individuals. Um, and as a result, a number of high-profile people um, at that institution have subsequently resigned. Um, but as I say, this is kind of, I think, a particularly problematic um, version of the story. And I suspect the fallout from from the Epstein MIT Media Lab um, issue is is going to be felt far and wide within the world of philanthropy because it kind of um, is problematic and has and has dragged, I think, a lot of sort of big name 
uh, philanthropists potentially into the firing line. But the the issues that it raises are very much not new. I mean, uh, as I've already said, in the kind of the the immediate short term past, um, many of the same issues were there surrounding the donations of the Sackler family. Um, who, if you'll recall, the the Sacklers are the the family whose wealth was made through Purdue Pharma, the company that was um, is alleged or or is has been found to be uh, responsible for sort of starting and perpetuating the opioid addiction crisis in the US and beyond. Um, and they were the makers of OxyContin. Um, and the Sacklers are sort of very generous donors to a wide range of institutions, particularly sort of arts and cultural institutions, and sort of famed for having wings of museums and uh, art galleries named after them. Um, and once their their link to the um, opioid scandal was uh, established, many of those institutions began to question whether it was acceptable to uh, continue to accept money from from the Sacklers or whether in fact they should seek to return donations that they'd already had and it has to be said this was often um, under pressure from artists or um, uh, activists who were kind of putting pressure on the institutions to, to do so and, and a number of uh, very high profile institutions have removed the Sackler name from uh, galleries or wings of of their buildings and have returned money or said that they won't take any money in future and I believe in the UK at least the the Sackler Foundation has um, at least temporarily suspended all of its activities um, and then one other example earlier uh, last year I believe uh, there was a scandal in the UK uh, surrounding a fundraising uh, event called uh, the President's Club Dinner this was a sort of um, black tie fundraising network um, that had been set up to raise money for um, sort of range of uh, reasonably high profile charities but um, the Financial Times did a piece of investigative reporting where they sent a couple of reporters um, there as employees to work on the night and then they wrote a, a kind of expose about the um, the behaviour of the the wealthy people who had been invited to the dinner, a lot of which was fairly depraved and um, and involved kind of inappropriate sexual advances to to sort of young people in in um, who were working at the event, um, and this this caused a huge furore, and there were lots of questions about um, which charities had received money as a result of this fundraising event and what they were were going to do about it. So th- this a version of this problem um, emerges cyclically, um, and t- to be honest, you know, very regularly these days, because I think people are asking more and more questions about the source of wealth and the relationship between the way in which money is made and the legitimacy that comes with uh, attempting to kind of give it away uh, through philanthropic means. Um, but as I say, you know, it's it's very much not uh, a new question. It's one of the kind of big uh, ethical questions that has always faced uh, charity and, and philanthropy. So, I mean, you know, a lot of religions kind of have very, very old teachings on this. So in Christianity, there's plenty in the Bible sort of um, outlining the the fact that you shouldn't take money from, from a sort of uh, tainted hand because um, uh, you would be tainted by association. Uh, and similarly, I think in kind of rabbinical teachings in Judaism, um, that, that is the, the kind of at least theoretical teaching. Um, I think where things start to get more complicated is when you balance that pure theoretical point of view against the pragmatic reality that faces most organizations which is that 
often there's a lot of grey area in this and these organisations are constantly in need of money so uh, it's all very well in theoretical terms to to talk about whether or not one should uh, accept or turn down donations and often that's a very different question to the reality of whether you should turn down a specific donation that may be very sizable uh, which would uh, meet sort of um, very specific financial requirements that you as an organisation have. Um, and, you know, you can see even this sort of tension playing out uh, a long time ago. So um, I think I mentioned before on the podcast, but in the wake of the um, separate controversy around the philanthropic response to uh, the uh, tragic fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, um, there, Matthew Ross did um, an article um, for Histville and for Alliance magazine about the sort of history of fundraising for Notre Dame and for cathedrals more broadly, where he made the point that actually, you know, a lot of the money that, that went to build them in the first place was pretty questionable. Uh, and he highlighted there the the um, teachings or the, the writings of um, a 12th, I think, century or at least medieval um, Christian scholar called Peter Cantor or Peter the Chanter who had sort of addressed specifically this question because the the people building Notre Dame had found themselves in a situation where they had been offered a donation from a group of uh, Parisian prostitutes and there was a question about whether or not they should accept this money or, or turn it down um, and in the end I believe uh, Peter Cantor's suggestion was that they could take the money and that would be morally okay but that they should keep pretty quiet about it so so that it didn't become more widely known um, and that, that's sort of you know a much older example but then moving sort of further forward in history we we start to see the idea of kind of tainted donations and the question of the the nature of of wealth and and what that should mean in terms of the legitimacy of philanthropy become more prominent understandably as philanthropy itself became more prominent so you know most famously i think um it became a huge issue at the turn of the 20th century in the u.s where um the, the sort of specific phrase around tainted donations i think for really came to public prominence and this was linked to some specific criticism of um a donation that john d rockefeller made um to the american board of foreign missions so he made a gift of a hundred thousand dollars um, because he himself was a, was a Christian, and a lot of um, what he did was sort of giving money to to overseas missions. But um, other Christians came out uh, strongly critical of him uh, and his business practices, um, and were arguing very strongly um, that the American board shouldn't keep his donation uh, on the basis that this would mean that they were sort of absolving him of that or implicitly condoning um uh what what he did in business um and although in that case the american board did end up keeping the money um this kind of brought to light a lot of the the issues uh, around around this question of tainted donations which we'll we'll go on to consider in in this episode um you know another big name philanthropist who faced uh, a lot of similar criticisms as well was andrew carnegie um who again you know is very much lauded and fated as a sort of great historical philanthropist but at the time was a, was a figure who received an enormous amount of criticism from people who questioned his business practices and whether his philanthropy uh, was in any way um, sort of sufficient to outweigh those or whether his philanthropy should be seen in the context of that so um, just a quote uh, here from Andrew Nassau, uh, David Nassau, sorry, David Nassau's biography of, of Carnegie, where he said, uh, working men on both sides of the Atlantic questioned 
uh, whether Carnegie's huge charitable donations would have been better spent on higher wages, improved working conditions and an eight rather than 12 hour workday. Um, Carnegie responded in a speech in Pittsburgh that he kept wages low to remain competitive and that even had it been possible for him to share some of his profits with his workers, it would have been neither justifiable nor wise to do so. And he said, trifling sums given to each uh, every week or month would be frittered away nine times out of ten in things which pertain to the body and not to the spirit, upon richer food and drink, better clothing, more extravagant living, which are beneficial neither to rich nor poor. And so he said, you know, the lower the costs of labour, the higher the profits. So far better, in his view, to squeeze money from workers' paychecks, aggregate it and give it back to the community in the form of public libraries and concert halls. So you see, Carnegie made a sort of pretty strong argument that actually you should stop questioning his business practices because his responsibility was to elicit the maximum possible profit from his commercial ventures and then give that away in philanthropy. And, you know, he particularly made the, the argument which... Uh, a lot of people would disagree with that that was preferable to paying people a proper wage and giving them good working conditions because uh, on his view which is very paternalistic he sort of uh, would be better able to to cater for their needs than they were themselves um i think you know a very different view can be found um from sort of uh, another prominent philanthropist from here in the uk uh, from a quaker background george cadbury um, and Cadbury is interesting on this because he very clearly outlines the other point of view, which is um, that he said, making money and giving it away forms a single pattern and making it can be as constructive socially as giving it away. No amount of philanthropic giving can take the curse off a fortune that has been accumulated carelessly or without regard for the welfare of the work people who have laboured for it. So, you know, he's making that point that you can't separate the way in which money is made on the one hand from the question of whether it's uh, legitimate to give it away uh, on on the other. Um, and then the, the other place in which we uh, sort of can see this issue coming to light historically is in the works of a few well-known writers. Um, so um, George uh, Bernard Shaw, uh, for instance, uh, actually ended up writing a reasonable amount on tainted donations um, because he wrote a play called Major Barbara, um, and the the sort of plot of this is that a, a young woman um, joins the Salvation Army and immediately finds herself in a, a moral quandary because the uh, the army is sort of thinking about whether or not to take money from um, uh, an arms manufacturer, I believe it is, or somebody who's made money in the, the Crimean War. And I think actually this this is the girl's father. Um, but a lot of people, uh, sort of critics, um, uh, took from this. Uh, you know that what Bernard Shaw himself felt to be the wrong message. So he wrote in a in a new preface to to the second edition of it, a sort of response to his critics. Um, and he said in this, uh, even the handful of mentally competent critics got into difficulties over my demonstration of the economic deadlock in which the Salvation Army finds itself. Some of them thought that the army would not have taken money from a distiller and a cannon founder. Others thought it should not have taken it at all, assumed more or less definitely that it reduced itself to absurdity or hypocrisy by taking it. Um, uh, and, and he says, um, Practically all the spare money in the country consists of a mass of rent, interest and profit, every penny of which is bound up with crime, drink, prostitution, disease, and all the evil fruits of poverty, as, as inextricably as with enterprise, wealth, commercial probity, and national prosperity. The notion that you can earmark certain coins as tainted 
is an unpractical individualist superstition. Um, so, you know, he's making the, the argument there, which we'll, we'll come on to in sort of thinking about some of the issues in a moment. Um, fairly cynical argument, actually, in his point of view, is that, you know, there's no, there's really no such thing as a tainted donation because actually all money is tainted because it's so highly interconnected that it's impossible to say that there's any such thing as clean money and, and that as such, you know, pragmatically, you might as well just get on with it and accept the money. Um, and actually, it's interesting that he's writing about the Salvation Army because... Um, the, the other sort of notable figure who expressed a view about tainted donations was the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth. Um, and although it's possibly an apocryphal remark, he is he is supposed to have said when asked about the question of tainted donations, well, the only problem with tainted donations is taint enough of them. Um, so <laughs> sort of epitomising that sort of pragmatic fundraiser's approach to it. Um, so before we go on to the, the next section and sort of think about the, what this means for charities uh, around whether or not they should accept money from tainted uh, donations, I want to kind of just unpick a little bit of you know what the, some of the stories happening at the moment and the history tells us about what the issues at stake are here. So the first one is just to ask the question, well, what do we actually mean by tainted donations? Because this, as I've sort of alluded to before, there's a lot of grey area here. And actually, some of the examples that we see at the moment in the news are not unhelpful, but actually make the issue seem more clear cut than it might otherwise be, because they themselves are quite extreme versions. So, you know, in the case of Jeffrey Epstein, he has committed crime, he was a convicted criminal. Similarly, the Sacklers, uh, at the very least, have been, you know, accepted in a lot of people's minds as being complicit in, in illegal activity. Uh, and the, the President's Club, um, sort of, you know, ethically was was pretty black and white that it was a, a, a bad thing. But there, there's much more grey area, I think, as a spectrum from the sort of overtly criminal, where actually the question of whether or not the money is tainted is fairly easy to answer, to other types of money where it's much greyer. So things which are perfectly legal, but where some people may think there are ethical questions at stake. And this is where you start to have things like you know, money made through arms manufacture or the tobacco industry or things like fossil fuels, where, you know, some people would say, well, actually, those count as uh, kind of morally reprehensible or should be seen as ethically questionable and raise the same issues for charities. But but there's definitely um, a matter of degree there. I think the other thing that's important to distinguish is between the idea that particular ways of making money uh, are tainted or particular sums of money are tainted by the acts of the people who have made them and the idea that sort of wealth creation as a whole is tainted because I think sometimes these two things get conflated so there is a, a sort of separate critique that um, you know that capitalism or wealth generation has produced such systemic inequality um, that that in itself demonstrates that the systems that we are working within are flawed. Um, and, you know, some would argue that uh, by continuing to uh, accept money that has been created within those systems, charities and others are kind of perpetuating them rather than addressing some of the, under, you know, the fundamental underlying causes of the structural inequality. Um, but it seems to me that's a slightly separate question. Um, or even if it's not a separate question, I think it kind of confuses the issue somewhat to lump that critique in with a different critique which might accept that capitalism 
or as a system even if flawed is is kind of the best possible uh uh, model available to us at the moment yet still acknowledges that within that there are kind of good ways of making money and bad ways of making money and i think that's what we're talking about here um i guess another question that, that comes up that, that we should bear in mind is is not just the nature of the taint but whether the the way in which the money is tainted is relate how it is related to the way in which the money is being created because i think there is sort of there is one model where the the money is tainted because the the method of wealth creation itself is tainted so for instance you know money that is made through arms manufacture that's a very direct relationship um in a different context something like the president's club is in that the money has been raised through a kind of fundraising event or a mode of fundraising that it is is itself the problem um uh, whereas in another case, I mean, something like the the Jeffrey Epstein issue, it it seems it's not so much the the money itself, although the way in which he raised the money might kind of raise all of its own issues. It's that he, as an individual, separately uh, committed criminal acts that make him very problematic. So any money that he has or wants to donate is sort of tainted by association with him and those acts. But those acts were not. Uh, to do with the may- way that the money was created insofar as I'm aware. Um, and not that this necessarily means that it's okay to take the money in that context, but just that it's an important distinction to be made. Um, and and then I think, yeah, the, the other thing to pick up, um, again, just sort of, um, we've already talked about it in the context of, of Bernard Shaw, but is this, this question of, you know, if we're trying to determine what we mean by tainted, um, you know, is it actually in any way meaningful to say that some money is good and some money is bad um or or not or is is our financial systems and society as a whole so kind of uh complex and uh interconnected and interdependent that actually you know it's all a matter of degree and all sort of money is either good or bad um dependent on your point of view and i guess the the conclusion you draw from that can be uh, where well, it can be at one end of a spectrum so you can either take the pragmatic point of view as outlined by somebody like Bernard Shaw to say well all of the money is sort of dirty to one extent or another so you might as well just you know stop worrying about it and get on with it or you can take the opposite view and say well all of the money is dirty to some extent or other so that shows that we need to give up on philanthropy and sort of try something that addresses more fundamentally the issues at stake here um so you know it brings to 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 bear that question of kind of uh pragmatism versus idealism uh and kind of you know incremental change from within a system versus revolutionary change that seeks to overthrow a system that we've we've kind of talked about a bit before on the podcast okay um well that's a very long opening segment uh, as ever um so in the next section i want to come on and sort of uh focus on the question of, of you know if we know that money is tainted to some to some extent, what should a charity actually do about it, either when it has uh, the possibility of a donation or where it has already received a donation? So stay tuned for that. Okay, so we're back for section two. And in this section, as I said before the break, I just want to think about the question of whether a charity should take the money from from the point of view of the sort of ethical issues that it raises. And in the, the last section, we'll think a bit more about some of the more practical questions. So, so this is basically the question, 
that I think gets to the heart of the debate here about tainted donations. So we, you know, we've had one set of questions uh, in the first section about well, what do you actually mean about whether money is tainted or not, which I think raises some interesting issues. But assume that you sort of know. Uh, or we agree that that a particular source of wealth is tainted in some way. The question then that faces uh, a charity or, or any organisation, uh, either sort of already in receipt of that donation or, or has the is faced with the possibility of that donation, is whether it is better to say no to that donation or to return it in order to to kind of keep themselves clear uh, of of the problem or whether it is better to accept the donation and thereby sort of do more good with it or take it away from uh, a source of wealth creation that is tainted. Um, and this, you know, there, there are people who hold uh, absolutely kind of opposing points of view on this. And it's actually, I think, one of the questions around charity and philanthropy that I find it most difficult in my own head to, to be clear uh, on either side, because I think there are some sort of strong arguments either way. Um, so I guess in terms of um, refusing the donation uh, on the first hand, let's take that one first. You know, what what is the argument as to why charities should refuse donations from uh, tainted sources? Um, well, the first one is uh, that people might claim, well, charities themselves um, should be held to a higher ethical standards than others. So they sort of have a moral responsibility to set the bar high for the rest of society to follow uh, and i think there is something in that although i think you know plenty of trustees or charities would um perhaps kind of question whether they should genuinely be held to a higher uh, standard than others or whether actually it should just be that everybody should be held to to higher standards um uh, and that, that charities shouldn't be sort of forced to to take a lead just because they have uh, a kind of a central social mission um Another reason, another argument sort of in favour of refusing um, these sorts of donations is um, essentially that by doing so you condone the the person or the method of wealth creation in question. Um, so this is where, you know, the argument is that even if a charity feels that it could take money and do some good with it, if in doing so it sort of absolves that donor of whatever sins or perceived sins they have committed, or it implies that the charity somehow uh, kind of condones their practices, then they are complicit in um, in a sort of process of reputation laundering um, that is problematic and, and might sort of cause reputational damage to the charity itself. Um and this is where, um, so historically, this is interesting, going back to the question of Rockefeller, um, the um, uh, Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton wrote this amazing uh, letter on, on philanthropy that was originally published in the Illustrated uh, London News and then got, got republished in a couple of places. But he sort of had this, this massive go at uh, Rockefeller uh, around this question of, of his the source of his wealth creation. I'm just going to read a little bit from it. So he said, uh, Philanthropy, as far as I can see, is rapidly becoming the recognisable mark of a wicked man. We've often sneered at the superstition and cowardice of the medieval barons who thought that giving lands to the church would wipe out the memory of their raids or robberies. But modern capitalists seem to have exactly the same notion. With this not unimportant addition, that in the case of the capitalists of memory, the memory of the robberies is really wiped out. This, after all, seems to be the chief difference between the monks who took land and gave pardons 
and the charity organisers who take money and give praise. The difference is that the monks wrote down in their books and chronicles received 300 acres from a bad baron, whereas the modern experts and editors record the 300 acres and call him a good baron. So the you know the point here is that actually if what charities are doing is taking money from these these uh, questionable sources and sort of heaping praise or thanks on on these donors then that is problematic because they are either sort of you know overtly or implicitly um pardoning them or excusing uh, their behavior or their modes of wealth creation um and then in terms of the 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 flip side so the question of whether charities should um uh, kind of accept the money um, and the sort of more pragmatic uh, arguments in, in favour of doing so. Well, one, I guess, is, you know, for charities to say, well, you know, we're, we're all out there fundraising, money's often very tight, so it's it's extremely difficult in practice to turn down donations. But I think the the stronger version of that is to say, actually, the responsibility on us is to take that money that may have come from a questionable source or have uh, sort of questionable associations and turn it to good purposes um, because that's better than the the counterfactual which is leaving it uh, somewhere you know where it retains those questionable associations or leaving sort of more hands more money in the hands of those whose ethics uh, one might question um, so so I think you know those are the kind of the the flip sides that, that you get you know on the one hand people are, are saying that charity shouldn't take the money because any way in which they could do so means that they are making themselves complicit in whatever is the source of the the ethical problem and on the other hand people saying actually the responsibility on charities is to sort of take bad money and put it to good uses Um, and I think here this raises a couple of additional questions that are very important in considering this issue so one is the nature of the donation itself Um, and what I, I mean here is Things like what level of uh, control does the donor retain over the donation and how it is used after after the donation is made or what sort of strings have they attached to it that mean that they are exerting power over how that money is used. And also I think the question of anonymity um, or the the way in which the donor is is recognised is important um, here because um, you know I think one of the... One of the the arguments against charities taking it, obviously, is that by doing so, if they sort of are made complicit in uh, in some sort of um, system of of laundering reputations, then that is problematic and and may cause problems for the charity. But if a charity is able to take a donation that is anonymized, even if that money comes from a question an ethically questionable source. Does the problem still remain? So I think here for me the interesting thought experiment is take an example like the Sacklers where it's obviously felt to be problematic by a lot of people because the Sacklers were giving money very visibly and they were having their names you know, emblazoned all over the sides of buildings and receiving a lot of praise and kind of social status as a, as a, as a um, uh, consequence of their giving. But what if the the Sacklers had been sort of quietly giving the same amounts of money, but entirely anonymously um, to to the same organisations, and furthermore had perhaps you know exerted no degree of control over it? So they hadn't specified that the money was to be spent on any one thing. They just gave all the money to core costs. Would that still 
be problematic i'm not sure i know the answer to that and i'm not even sure whether it's a particularly realistic scenario but i think it's an interesting question to think through whether it is these sorts of factors that are the things that make us feel uncomfortable and question whether charity should take it rather than sort of fundamental notion that the money itself is tainted um I think one of the interesting questions this raises is around transparency, because I think in this context, transparency is something that can potentially cut both ways. So just before I was arguing that actually one way in which you might make it more uh, palatable to, to accept money from a tainted source is for it to be anonymous so that the donor thereby gets no... Um, uh, sort of a recognition or, or or reward or social status for their giving but the flip side is if you make it anonymous then uh, if it subsequently comes to light that you have received money from that source the any perceived lack of transparency looks very bad um, and this is certainly something that's been the case in the story of the relationship between Jeffrey Epstein and the MIT Media Lab where one of the problems has been that it has subsequently come to light that they went to extraordinary efforts to uh, kind of um, hide the fact that the money was was coming from him. Um, and I guess in that you know in this that scenario, the question then is, you know, was was it better in some sense that they were accepting the money anonymously from Jeffrey Epstein because at least that way he wasn't getting his name on the side of a building? Um, and I don't know. The, I suspect one of the problems in in that case continued to be the fact that even if he wasn't getting public recognition in, in that form, he was certainly getting a benefit from his donation uh, in the form of uh, the kind of ongoing availability of um, connections and sort of social status among you know a small group of the elite who certainly would have known that he was connected with that institution so i think from from that point of view he was still getting a lot of reputational benefit which is why it re- remains problematic um another question that i think is is interesting um to consider is um if a charity is going to justify the money on the basis that it is going to do good with it and thereby it's sort of better to take the money uh, and to, to turn it from bad purposes to good. Do those good purposes need to be in some way related to the 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 ethically the, the nature of the, of why the money was created in a bad way in the first place? So what I mean here is, does it have to act in some way as a kind of reparation or restitution for the perceived wrong that was done uh, that was the source of the wealth creation? Um, and you know some people would would argue this so this is where you know people um might say that um you know if money has been uh created through i don't know sort of exploiting um people's addiction to to gambling or something like that that actually if somebody then tried to make moral amends for that through their philanthropy then that philanthropy would have to be uh, directed at kind of solving precisely the problems that they had caused through their wealth creation. Um, and this is obviously the thesis that you see quite a lot um, in a slightly different context, but behind things like the distribution of um, fines that, that are made by public agencies. And quite often the model for that is that the fine will be made um, and then sort of distributed to charities that are uh, sort of where the cause error is in some way related to the to the nature of of why the fine was levied in the first place, um, but it's it's not entirely you know clear to me whether that is a necessary condition in order for 
uh, a charity to to take money from a tainted don't uh, from a tainted source or whether the sort of simple fact that they can demonstrably show that they are doing some good is enough um I think another question uh, on this before we come to the end of this section that is interesting is whether there is any sort of statute of limitations uh, at work here. So what I mean here is whether actually the time period um, or how long ago the the, the perceived injustice was perpetrated or, or the thing that is causing the money to be seen as tainted happened whether that matters so if obviously if it happened in the immediate here and now then um you know that's uh that's generally seen to be very problematic but the further it gets into the past do we is there a point at which we have to start to question whether even if we accept that the money was problematic in some ways in pragmatic terms we we just need to kind of uh, accept that and move on with things. And this is very much a live issue around things like money that has historically come from the slave trade, for instance, um, where there have been some very vocal campaigns aimed at um, higher education institutions, Oxford University, um, at public civic institutions, uh, places like Colston Hall in Bristol, to um, either to sort of remove um, plaques or, or names that recognise um, prominent donors of the past who clearly made their money through slavery, or to uh, go further and play some sort of part in kind of reparation or restitution for, you know, the damages done through that industry. And, and you know, there, there are some, you know, very sort of valid arguments in terms of doing that. But I guess, you know, there is also an interesting question about at the point at which there are no... Uh, living individuals who are the sort of um, directly harmed by uh, you know the way in which a particular uh, pot of wealth was made you know at that point what does restitution mean who, who are the people who are supposed to benefit from it what nature does the the reparation or restitution take and these I think are you know very difficult questions but this is certainly you know another dimension of the question of of tainted donations that that often gets drawn in uh, into the debate so i think it's worth flagging up okay um well that brings that section to a close i think um and then the final section i just want to go on to think about some of the practical uh questions that might face a charity or or a philanthropic organization that is sort of thinking through whether or not to accept a tainted donation so stay tuned for that okay so we're back for the third and final section uh, and as i said before the break in this one i just want to think through hopefully a bit more briefly um some questions that are more to do with the kind of practicalities of how you might uh uh actually accept money that potentially has come from a from a tainted source so assume you know going through our sections that you've kind of decided that money is tainted um in some way shape or form and then you've thought through the question of whether it's better or not just to you know say no to it or to accept it and now you're trying to grappling with what that means in practical terms well i think here there are some some sort of interesting questions that build on some of the things we were talking about in the second section so one is even if you uh, as an individual are involved with a charity um possibly as you know uh, an employee of it or a senior manager but more likely as a trustee let's say because they're sort of ultimately responsible for the decisions that are made on what basis do you make a decision about whether a particular donation is tainted and you know particularly if you are making an argument that that either means that you should 
seek to refuse it or um, that you should seek to return it. And this raises, you know, a really interesting question about the role and responsibilities of trustees. Um, and it sort of it parallels actually a debate about the roles and responsibilities of trustees when it comes to uh, investment, and particularly uh, increasingly around the question of ethical investment. Um, and the, the main point here is that the the decision about whether or not to accept a donation cannot be based on your own personal views and ethics. They have to be taken in your role as a trustee insofar as they relate to the best interests of the charity or the organisation um, that you are representing. Um, and this this can get complicated. So it's it's fairly straightforward, as I've said, I think, uh, in the case where the money is actively criminal, because I think it's a pretty clear-cut case there that it's better to say no to it. I think in those cases, let's assume that the money is, you know... Arises from a source where there is a there are sort of you know well founded and reasonably widely shared concerns, but where it uh, still falls within the law. Um, now, there's a couple of different scenarios here. So one is where the nature of that wealth creation is directly in contrast in some way with your charitable mission as an organisation. Um, so here you have examples like you know taking money if you're a charity working towards heart disease well obviously it's you should say no to money that comes from the tobacco industry or if you work around sort of peace building um you know it's very easy to see why you should say no to arms manufacturer because the the uh danger of reputational damage or being kind of accused of hypocrisy um would be very clear and apparent but then what if it isn't what if the nature of the wealth creation is something that you as an individual view as problematic and you would like to make an argument in your um role as a trustee that it should be seen as such and therefore a basis for for saying no to the donation um but actually it's not directly linked to uh, the nature of work or your charitable cause there the argument really needs to be made in terms of some um some sense that the reputational risk or the potential reputational risk that would come from accepting the money outweighs uh, the value of um uh, yeah the the value of of saying no to it um so um and this is difficult i think because one of the problems is that you're comparing a speculative possibility i.e. the sort of speculative possibility of future reputational risk with something that's more of a certainty, which is a specific amount of money that is available to you at that point in time. So it is a difficult argument to make. I think further complicating that is if you are making an argument about potential reputational risk, to some extent is that based on an argument that public perception or opinion would be of uh, of a certain hue? Um, and this is where you know some research and polling that's been done is quite interesting. So in the wake of the President's Club scandal um, 18 months or so ago, uh, the NCVO here in the UK did a bit of polling where they asked uh, members of the public for their views on the scandal and what charities who had been in receipt of money from it should do. And interestingly, they found that only 20% of the people they asked thought that the charities in question should give the money back. And actually, 67% of them thought they should keep it, which may surprise many people. Actually, sort of public opinion very much veered more towards the, well, it would be better for the charities to keep it and do good with it, rather than, you know, thinking that the responsibility on the charities was to to say no and to keep their hands clean. Um, a, A further difficulty, I think, here 
let's assume that the charity has already received the donation, which actually tends to be uh, the case quite often. So in the case of the President's Club, for instance, that was the the situation that a lot of organisations found themselves in, because often the scandal around uh, these things doesn't blow up until quite a long time after the event, so the money has already passed hands. Um, And this makes the situation um, even more complicated because once, in law, certainly here in the UK, once a donation has been made, the money passes a sort of imaginary charitable threshold, um, and in charity law it can't go back in the other direction. Um, So it's not as simple as just saying, oh, well, give the money back to the donor, um, because the money has now been dedicated for charitable purposes in law, and it has to be used for those purposes. Further complicating it is the fact that once the money has been given uh, towards specific charitable purposes it needs to be spent on the purposes that it was given for so so actually it's not even as simple uh, in the situation where you've got say a charitable foundation uh, forwarding money onto a specific uh, cause-based organization it's not that easy for that cause-based organization to give the money back to the foundation um, and this, uh, there's a good article that I'll put links in in the show notes to by uh, John Picton from the University of Liverpool um, outlining some of these sort of legal difficulties. Um, you know, he makes the, the point there that actually um, in the, the President's Club situation, the, um, the Charity Commission, the regulator here in the UK, uh, in England and Wales at least, uh, made it clear in the wake of the some of the scandal around the President's Club and particularly the situation that Great Ormond Street Hospital found itself in where it was weighing up whether or not to try and give some of this money back. Um, in the end, it recommended that Great Ormond Street didn't need to give that money back. And it was also very explicit in saying that any charity that found itself in a similar situation needed to seek express permission from the regulator if it was considering uh trying to give money back in that way so actually from a sort of legal and regulatory point of view it's a it's a pretty big and and complex task to try and give a donation back um and before we we round up i think having thought about those things i guess just some some thoughts off the back of you know all of this sort of uh you know historical information and and kind of uh more practical information um that i think maybe leads us to maybe not an answer to the question, but at least a sense of the the criteria on which you, an organisation might make a decision about whether or not to take uh, a donation from a source that, that has some element of taint associated with it, or at least the sorts of questions it could be asking itself. Um, so I think the first question for, for a charity to ask, or for any of us to ask in this situation, is can the organisation that's in receipt of the money demonstrably be said to be doing some good with it um which i think is an important question to ask because if if the organization you know actually isn't really doing any good with it or it's fairly questionable whether or not it's good or it's kind of you know only some people would consider that it was good um it's much harder to make that case for accepting the money on pragmatic grounds because you are turning it to good purposes and i suspect this might be an issue in the mit media lab case where you know, what they are doing, uh, they do a lot of very good research and have done over the years, but whether as many people would agree that that was doing good with the money as they would if it was sort of directly helping people in poverty, I I probably question. Um, I think the second thing that that organisations in receipt would need to think through 
is that one of does accepting the donation confer legitimacy on the donor or imply approval of the way in which they've created their money and this is to do i guess with those issues around uh, that we discussed around anonymity and whether the donor retains power uh, over the way in which the money is spent um, and you know the option is open uh, to organizations in rec- receipt of money um, i guess to be explicit about this and to say explicitly we will take this money but we in no way approve of where the money came from or the way in which the wealth was created and you do occasionally see this so um, when the news of the world newspaper uh, in this uh, in the uk closed down um, after a sort of scandal about phone hacking um, it distributed um, the, the money from the the last day or week sales um, and this was handed out to a group of, of charitable organisations. And actually, they found it very difficult to find organisations who were willing to take that money. Uh, and one that did was the Disasters Emergency Committee, which is a sort of centralised group of um, aid organisations um, that kind of pool pool resources when it comes to responding to disasters. And they kind of took the money but made an explicit statement saying, we in no way approve of the news of the world or kind of the way in which it conducted its journalism. But we, you know, we felt our responsibility was to take this money and put it, you know, towards our central charitable mission. Um, And, you know, it's probably fanciful to think that all organisations could do that in all circumstances, because there are often uh, fairly unequal power dynamics at play between donors and recipient organisations. But at least in theory, that is one way you might overcome the difficulty. Um, I think the, the, the next question is... As we've said, is the donor themselves going to get a benefit from this gift, whether that is avert in, uh, as in naming rights on a building, or whether it's something more intangible like um, you know reputational benefit or social status or connection? Um, and again, you know that that is if you want to take money from a tainted source and you're uncomfortable about it, you probably want to minimise or remove any benefit to the donor as far as possible. Um, and linked to that, as we've already said, is the question of whether the donor will exert any control over how the money is spent. Now, I'm I'm not pretending uh, that these criteria are necessarily going to be workable. I mean, they set a pretty high bar, I think, but they seem like the sorts of questions where if you went through them sequentially and answered them in a way that satisfied you, um, you know, it would determine whether or not in a particular case, you know, you could justify taking money from a source where it was perceived as tainted but do so in a way that meant that you were avoiding uh, making yourself as an organization complicit uh, in that or or kind of conferring benefit on on the donor uh, and thereby you might be able to make that that case that actually you're sort of taking the money and putting it to good purposes and that that is better than allowing the money to remain with the donor um, but as I say, whether it's feasible to expect any any philanthropy in practice to, to meet those criteria, uh, I'm not sure. Um, okay, well, as ever, I think I've run enormously long there. Um, so it just remains to say, if uh, I'll put links in uh, the show notes to lots of the things that I've uh, talked about here today. Um, if you're interested more broadly in issues around philanthropy and civil society, uh, check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis. Uh, or if you're more interested in stuff about kind of history of philanthropy and writings about philanthropy, I also run the app for literacy uh, web feed, uh, Twitter feed. Um, uh, why don't you uh, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts? 
uh, if you've got ideas for topics we could talk about or people that we could interview on the show, uh, drop us an email at givingthoughts@cafonline.org. Other than that, it just remains to say thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye!